Chicas, coming to you live from the big studio here in Los Angeles. Great to be with you on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. We got Moose on the field, bro. Moose. You know, we opened up Dick's Sporting Goods Park in mm-hmm. Colorado. They were wild buffalo roaming around in Commerce City. Really? So that, on the that field? Ain't, that ain't nothing. No. You go to training, like, you got to miss a buffalo. That was, uh, that was in Wyoming. Good to know that uh, bicycles scare off the moose. You Did it that? really, though? I mean, <laughs> poor kid. We'll, uh, we'll ask Martin Einstein on his next, next uh, Bicycle Diaries to, uh, there we go. to sort low, that out. Hello, Salazar. It is, it is today, October 20th. You know what that means? Yes, I do know what that means. Oh, what? It's the 20th anniversary of the LA Galaxy's first title. Hey! hey! And you were a part of that? You were yeah. a part of that? That's there right. for the history. Uh, it also means. Are we talking about that? No. Oh. Uh, sorry. Uh, it also means we're less than one month till we leave for Qatar. You, uh, you're leaving on the 20th? No, less than one month. We're leaving on the 15th. That's what I'm saying. But I think we've, we have like underplayed that, that we're going to be uh, in Qatar for the month of the World Cup. we got a lot com- coming up in this show. Juan Carlos Osorio, Herc, is going to join us uh, in studio. We're going to talk about not just his time with the Mexican national team, his career as well. And then he's also going to give us some insight into Carlos Vela and Javier Chicharito Hernandez, who, of course, are playing a little bit later tonight. In El Tráfico, we got uh, Galaxy LAFC. Arcatia Castorena is there live at Bank of California You're Stadium. You're going, right? Yep, we're going to slide over there as soon as the uh, show is over. But before that and after the lineups come out, Katia's going to join us uh, live here on Football Américas to give us all the latest. But, Herc, we got to start this show with what happened last night down in Liga MX. Semifinals. First leg between Toluca and America. Toluca, the sixth seed. America, oh, no! the one seed. But Memo Ochoa, early on in this one, comes out and gets lost. Tareto Ortega scruffles it over the line. America were down 1 nothing. They'd be down 2 nothing later in the first half. Leo Fernandez from the penalty spot converts, and suddenly Las Aguilas looked like they were in trouble. Chance late in first half stoppage time goes begging into the second half. America with another opportunity, and here's the controversial moment, 54th minute. Camilo Sanveso scores, makes it 3-0. Oh, no, but wait, but wait, VAR says offside. So the goal disallowed. America strike back in the 79th minute. Emilio Lara, the finishing touch off a great assist from Henry Martin. And so the first leg ends 2-1. Toluca, the winners over America. But Herc, did Toluca waste their chance to finish off the number one seed. They absolutely did. Did you cut up this edit right here? Mm -mm. Very, very favorable edit for Club America. It really was not that close. Mm -hmm. It could have been 4-0 in the first 70th. First half was bad. In the first 70 minutes, it could have been 4-0, and yet the final 10, it was closer to 2-2. They wasted a golden opportunity. This... I would refer to Toluca, and I've been referring to them late in this season as TSG, Mm -hmm. Toluca San Germán, because of the riches they have offensively, because of how much money they've spent going forward. Thinking about this title, now you had a chance when Club America was on the ropes to knock them out, and instead you're going back to the Estadio Azteca now not being favorites. Why are you not favorites? Club America is not only the best offensive team this season, but they're undefeated at home. They've only tied two games in the eight league games and one playoff game. 25-7, to seven, they've outscored opponents. They're a different animal at home. You had them on the ropes. Yeah. You had them there, and you wasted it. I think the, I think the chance is gone to your point, right? I, I think Toluca would have said, we didn't waste the opportunity had they gone out of this plus two, right? If you go down to Azteca and you've got, you've got a two-goal lead, I think, I think you feel pretty right. But at least two, you yeah. feel like, okay, 
Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Look at America's home record. I think we also have to acknowledge Toluca's defensive liabilities, which have shown themselves certainly yeah. second half of the season. We saw it even in the first leg against Santos, finished 4-3. You saw it at the end of this game. Totally. Yeah, America nearly, nearly, uh, you know, comes away with a 2-2 draw, which I, I don't think would have been deserved. I think the word waste here, though, is, is too harsh. Because at 2-0... Well, you brought it up in the production meeting. Well, I, but I think at 2-0, <laughs> they are still trying to throw the knockout punch. You, you to, to borrow your boxing analogy, I think Toluca sensed that America was very much on the ropes. And that third goal, and, and we can talk about this here, um, I don't know. And even with my yellow glasses, I don't know that it should have been overturned. And on top of that, there's another critical play late here that I think doesn't go Toluca's way. Henry Martin on Thiago Volpi, the goalie. Could have that, been red. Could have been, probably should have been a red. And I'm thinking if, you know, we've, we've talked about it before, a, a red card here can change everything. Uh, for Pachuca, for instance, no Kevin Alvarez in their first leg because he gets sent off uh, in the quarterfinals. Yeah. What if Henry Martin gets a red card? Who's arguably I mean, your best player. No, no, and I think the most critical player, you look at that Puebla 6-1 and 5-1, everything was changed in the attack in the midfield except for Henry Martin. If he's out for the second leg, even with, a, even with only one goal of an advantage, I think st- still Toluca has a very good shot. Yeah. But with Henry Martin in there... And it's just one. And you're going back to Azteca. No, I think the chance is gone. I think it's harsh to say Toluca wasted it when the refs here didn't help them at all. Well, you think it's on the ref now. You think that plays on the ref. You think them missing open chances on the ref. You think them not supplying that knock of blows on the ref. Now you're banking on Memo Ochoa to have another horrendous play. Mm. You're banking on Mm. Hidalgo, who's been one of the better players for America this season, to have a blunder. You know how many balls Fidalgo asked yesterday to Richard Sanchez not play well? You're banking on Lara, the young stud for America this season, to make another boneheaded play like he did in this game. There's too many things to bank on that you're hopeful if you're Toluca when you had him on the ropes. You had him on the ropes and you didn't take advantage. All right, you brought it up. You brought it up. So let's discuss the big, big mistake from Memochoa, which, as you saw in the highlight, is really a critical part of this first leg defeat for America. Memochoa comes out, clearly doesn't handle it well. Toluca score to go up 1-0 early in the first half. Now, this is not the first time, Hercules Gomez, that Memo has had issues dealing with the aerial game. So how big an issue is this error, not just for Memo Club America, but let's also open it up. The Mexican national team has a World Cup, again, less than a month's time. So if we're talking Club America in the immediate, I don't think it affects him too much. I think he's a professional. I don't think uh, Toluca has that caliber of play where... He's going to be constantly bombarded, mm-hmm. although Charlie Gonzalez is that target man and he can be effective. Liga Mekis. But when you're talking on the world stage mm-hmm. and when you talk about things that Memo Ochoa is good at, in between those three posts, yep. he's amazing. Shot stopper. Shot stopper. That is the term. Have him come out out of those three mm-hmm. posts, he feels naked, he feels vulnerable, and he's not good. And this isn't something that's new. This is something that's hampered him his whole career. Now, speaking of Juan Carlos Osorio, Profe Juan Carlos Osorio, he will tell you that Poland is big in the way they play mm. directly, mm. in the way they play and pump balls into the box, whether that's wing play or, or direct free kicks or even the center backs. Having a goalkeeper who doesn't feel secure with himself is an issue. This can be in the back of his mind. He's been lights out the last two World Cups. Yep. What he least needs to worry about right now is coming out for a ball. Yep. At club level, I'm with you. Like, I don't think it's that big an issue because relative to the other goalies in Liga Mekis, he's still at yes, the top, right? Absolutely. So you still, as America, even though this is a disadvantage, um, you still have an advantage in terms of you have a, a great goalie. Correct. And I think also the secret's out in Mexico. Everybody knows this about Memochoa. Everybody knows this about America. So all the Liga Mekis teams, this is how they plan to attack you anyway. I think if you're cleared, if you're 
Poland coach, if you're Saudi coach, if you're any of the coaches that are going to face Mexico, or even in El Cruce, if it's a potential you might face Mexico in the knockout rounds, you see this, and as a manager, you're going to be emboldened. And if you're a player and you see this highlight, you're going to say, no, 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 we got to be testing every ball in. So I think when we talk about the World Cup, yeah, Poland may be the scariest in terms of the aerial game, but I think everything for Mexico is a threat with set pieces. What about the psyche of the players with Mexican national? It's mm. one thing mm. knowing that it's Carlos Gonzalez who's getting in the end of this, so potentially. Yeah. It's another thing when you think, wow, it's Robert Lewandowski. So you think it. as a center back, this kind of almost conditions how you play, knowing that, you, I mean, all these guys will have seen Memo's mistake. They know what Memo's It's not an MO so I don't is. think it'll be conditioned, but it's mm. certainly in the back of your mind if you're a center back in that first game, you're expecting a physical battle. If you're Hector Moreno, if you're Cesar Montes, if you're Nestor Araujo, whoever the case, whoever the center back may be, that is on your mind that you have to be at your physical best versus whoever's playing that nine position and elsewhere because you have to make up in other areas. Why don't you think we've seen him exposed in other World Cups? Or, or has he been exposed, but maybe well, we've just been so focused on the incredible performance you, against Brazil? Like, I do remember, when, I do think when, of the Sweden when are, game. When are goalkeepers the best players on their team? Right, when things are bad. But I, I do remember the okay. Sweden game, and I remember thinking every ball into the box was like a heart attack from a Mexican fan standpoint. What happened? A lot of that had to do with Memocho not, not what happened? coming off his line. They lost 3-0. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> there you have it. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. With a quick addition of Run It Back. Start with Alfonso Davies, who had a goal and an assist. His fire one, 5-2 against Augsburg in the cup. Augsburg, still doing your thing, huh? Uh, look at this little mag. Oh, my goodness. He just leaves it open. And then good little ball, great little finish. He'll take the assist, but that's not all, Seb. Oh, no, that's not all. Alfonso Davies finishing as well. La Manita, the fifth. Uh, first off, sweet jerseys. Second off. Barcelona wants him, Real Madrid wants him. That's our response, a goal and an assist. More cup action, Ricardo Pepe, his fifth goal in six games as Groningen beat Dordrecht, 3-0 in the Dutch Cup. I'm thinking about doing a video of why this is such an amazing goal for Ricardo Pepe. For those nines out there at any level, look at the way he works off the ball, steals it, he starts to play himself, attacks the goal at speed, and look at this. The easiest of finishes, but he created this. Ricardo Pepe coming to his own in Holland. You know who could have used a Ricardo Pepe goal? Augsburg when they lost 5-2 oh, against Bayern. Christian Pulisic, a 61st minute sub as Chelsea drew scoreless against Brentford. He comes back after back-to-back DNPs, Herc. How'd he look? Look good. Yeah? Not gonna lie. He looked really good, really dangerous, really confident, and fast. Next up for Chelsea and Christian Pulisic, Champions League next Tuesday against Salzburg as we take a look at his heat map. Got 29 minutes off the bench as Chelsea drew against Brentford in Premier League action. From the Premier League, what about Europa League? We had a CONCACAF showdown. Arsenal, 1-0 winners over PSV. Matt Turner, the clean sheet as uh, Eric Gutierrez went the full 90. Eric Gutierrez with the full 90. Uh, that's the third 
clean sheet in four games for Matt Turner. Yep. Not bad. Arsenal flying high, Matt Turner flying high, uh, Eric Gutierrez. That one hurt, right? It hurt, but uh, they're probably still in pretty good shape to get through to the knockout rounds. Matt Turner, by the way, with just a one save to earn that clean sheet. They're both in. Oh. I'm not raining on the previous You kind of are. Here's a Group A in Europa League. Arsenal first, PSV second. Two games left, and again, the top two uh, advance to the knockout rounds. Arsenal are all through, already through. Now, you guys know, if you've been watching this show, we are loving the Welcome to Wrexham documentary. Of course, uh, Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool fame and Rob McElhenney of Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame. They bought a, a team in Wales in the fifth tier of English football. Wrexham against Blythe Spartans on ESPN Plus on Tuesday in the FA Cup. And how about this golazo from Ollie Palmer at the near post for Wrexham, Herc? <laughs> nice little taquito by Palmer uh, in the box. Redirects it early on as well. He was the uh, big signing in season one. Here's another star player. They call him, he's Paul Malin, super Paul Malin. Paul oh, Malin was a big signing in season one. He was like the first big signing, yes. right? And then Ali Palmer was kind of the second big signing. That's all he does. I don't want to say the rest. Uh, yeah, we're kind of spoiling it here. Uh, Jordan Davis, he's the hometown kid, and he makes ah! it three here. Wrexham are rolling. Uh, you think they would be rolling. Mm -hmm. uh, you think they'd be in control. You think there's no way this is going to be interesting. But guess what? But guess what? The magic of the cup cuts both ways. Blythe Spartans, they're in the sixth tier. And for something, they earned a replay, right? The first game finished 1-1. Jonathan O'Donnell makes it 3-1. Then four minutes later, Michael Richardson and... Uh-oh, Herc. Uh-oh. Yeah. Wrexham are sweating. It's it's 3-2. Yeah. Five minutes before the first goal, the, our producer was already saying, Oh, to the next round. And then, well... Three Doritos later. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, Wrexham finished off the job. They did win 3-2. So next up for Wrexham in the FA Cup, it's Oldham Athletic, who are in the same tier in the National League. It'll be Wrexham versus Oldham Athletic November 5th. The FA Cup is on ESPN Plus uh, at Wrexham's iconic home November 6th. field. Excuse me, November 6th, uh, the race course ground. Don't miss it. Uh, another Wrexham match on ESPN Plus. From the National League to Major League Soccer, which you caught up on the Monday night late playoff action in Frisco, Minnesota, and FC Dallas. Scoreless at the half, 53rd minutes. Minnesota attacking. Langwane, the South African international muscling through everybody, gets it to Emmanuel Reynoso. It's 1-0 Minnesota. Yeah, Reynoso outside the box. Goalkeeper thinks he's gonna go far post. He sneaks it into that near post. A little lost on that line, doesn't really know where he is, gets caught into his post and uh, very good finish to 1-0 Minnesota. That's why you brought him in, the ex-Boca man wearing the number 10 and scoring the goal. FC Dallas respond 11 minutes later. Matt Hedges the first header, Facundo Quinon the second. You know what they say, dos cabezazos en el área is goal. Two headers in the box is usually a goal. Not the exception here. FC Dallas making oh, no. it 1-1. We go to oh. extra time. Jesus Ferreira with the best chance of the extra time session, and he does what? Oh, this is when your eyes get big. You see the goal, it's an easy one for you, and he just scuffs it. Credit to Dane St. Clair. Kept it out on the second effort. We go to penalties. Will Trapp saved by Martin Payne. Oh, that's not the state final in Ohio, is it? That's right. Uh, John Strong on the commentary for Fox bringing that up. The old commentator's jinx. It happens to everybody. It happens to the best. Alan Velasco. The Panenka got a winner. You kidding me, Herc? That didn't happen to the best. This takes some stones, some aguacates, some... You know what I'm trying to say. Yes, and that is why you pay a club record fee for Alan Velasco uh, as he scores there to put Dallas through. They advance to face 
Austin. Yes, that'll be a, a tasty, uh, tasty game in the Western Conference. First off, uh, the Eastern Conference, though, Philly and Cincinnati, they're in action as we speak. The winner gets uh, Montreal against New York City. And then in the Western Conference, uh, it's Dallas advancing to face Austin all ahead yeah. of tonight. I'll be on that AFC one. Uh, against the LA Galaxy, El Trafico. Very, very interesting bracket there uh, in the Western Conference. All right, Herc, let's get back to the play that everybody's talking about from Monday night. Jesus Ferreira's miss. Is it something, nothing, or everything? Well, it's not nothing, mm -hmm. and it depends who you are for the context of what it will you be. You say it's not nothing. We're not blowing one miss out of proportion? It's not nothing. If you are a U.S. men's national team fan, mm -hmm. it's something, and it's something big. It's something big because the majority of U.S. men's national team fans are split when it comes to Jesus mm. Ferreira. It is. Either you like him or you don't, and those who don't like him are asking why he's constantly included into the starting lineup. So if you're Jesus Ferreira, this is everything. Mm -hmm. This is everything because essentially that guarantees you don't have to do penalty kicks. Hmm. That guarantees you advance. That also shows everybody why you're there. You're a nine, you're there to score goals. But when you don't score the goal, and when you miss it in that manner, and it gets likened to Chris Wondolowski's Oosh. miss against Belgium, that is a certain headspace you don't want to be in if you're a finisher. It's about confidence, it's about belief, and those kind of things can hinder your confidence and belief. To his credit, he stepped up in the penalty kick and yeah. buried it. But as a forward, with that asterisk, because many of those people out there will put an asterisk on him because he's Greg's boy, because he's a Major League Soccer player. I you think need to constantly could... be proving yourself, and that is something that is painful to see, and I'm sure for him, painful to endure. Yeah. It's everything if they lose, because one of the things that we've been talking a lot about with these MLS guys is you don't want that inactivity, right? right? Had they lost because of that, I mean, forget the psychological toll. There's a physical toll from the inactivity that he would have had. Um, but, but to your point, stepping up, converting the penalty, and he was confident when he went up was, there and took it. He sends the goalie the other way. I mean, to me, that's a huge, huge penalty because it, A, helps you advance. Of course, Velasco finishes it off with the incredible Panenka, uh, but it gets him that confidence back. So to me, it, it can't really be everything. Of the forwards in the pool, do we classify him as the worst finisher? Because uh, I think, you know, we think about who's clinical. I don't think it's fair to call Ricardo Pepe clinical you know, yet. But in terms of finishers, I think you have to put PFOC one. Then right now, based on what Sargent's doing, he's number two. Pepe right now, if we're going off hot, he's ahead of Ferreira. Off of finishing? Absolutely. Because yeah. Ferreira isn't there for his finishing. And Greg Berhalter has said so. Greg Berhalter has gone out of his way and say he looks for different things from his nine. Not necessarily a finisher, because if so, you'd have a player like Jordan Pifak or even a Josh Sargent. But you level that out, right? If, if Ferreira's the best at everything else, but the worst finisher, don't, it doesn't that weigh heavily, the fact that he's, that he's the lowest in, in that pecking order? Well, finishing he, is, I'm sorry, you're a forward. Finishing is... He did, he did, this, How much he of the did job? a decent number of finishes in Major League Soccer. That's the thing. Everybody uses Major League Soccer against them. Yeah, he's cooled and off a bit. He's cooled off a bit. He's cooled off a bit. But when you talk to Jesus Ferreira, you're not talking about his finishing ability. By, by the way, none of those other forwards have four goals in a game. And I know it's Granada and say what I you know, will. Know, say what you will. But you play against the same competition. It's the amount of opportunities he's been given under Greg Berhalter that rub people the wrong way. Okay. Uh, one more thing on this FC Dallas-Minnesota game. And it falls under the category, Herc, of shots fired. Okay. Okay. David Ochoa uh, on Instagram took this shot <laughs> at Adrian Heath after Minnesota were eliminated. Now, there's some backstory here, right? When David Ochoa was at RSL, him and Heath had a, a back and forth uh, after a game. 
And I guess he's been holding on to that for a while, huh? Jeez. You got them receipts. Months and months and months of receipts. My man came in hot. Uh, by the way, uh, if you work for the Minnesota United organization, mm -hmm. it is not a good idea to go on social media and start trying to defend your family, your uh, <laughs> uh, colleagues. Colleagues, thank colleagues. There it is, uh, FC Dallas winners in a penalty shootout over Minnesota. And David Ochoa has not forgotten Adrian Heath. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. What a special treat to welcome into studio Juan Carlos Osorio, former manager of the Mexican national team. There, You saw some clips from his official presentation as part of ESPN's team for the upcoming World Cup. You're going to be helping us out uh, in Spanish, but a lot with us here in English as well. So welcome to the show, Profe. I know we've had you on the show before, but great to have you here in Los Angeles. Um... I'm happy to be here and hopefully we'll uh, contribute to the understanding of the game. Oh, I think you go. will. I think you will uh, quite a bit. So uh, for those people who don't know you, or maybe many of our audience knows you kind of only as the manager of the Mexican national team, but I, I want people to know your story because you've actually had a connection to soccer in America going way back. You were an assistant coach in the USISL with the Staten Island Vipers uh, way back in the day. You were an assistant with the Metro Stars in the early days of Major League Soccer. But you actually came here in your 20s to study collegiately and play collegiately, right, in Connecticut. So what is a young Colombian, Juan Carlos Osorio, doing in the States? Uh, what are you looking for at that time in your life when you came to America? Well, I think that at that particular moment, United States was, the, as I still think it is, a, a country of opportunities. So I was playing professional football in, in Colombia, but mm, I, wasn't, I wasn't playing enough time. I wasn't receiving enough opportunities. And I decided I want to study. I want to go to university in the United States and I want to work there and help my family. And I came here as an international student uh, I went to Clark College in Iowa, um, and then when that expired, I have to make a decision. I need to move to a place in the United States where I can work and play football and I did uh, soccer, and I decided to go to United uh, to New York. So I was there for a while, and that's where I met uh, a lot of <clears throat> football people or soccer people including uh, Mr. Gaitan, who gave me the chance in the Staten Island Vipers mm -hmm. uh, as, a, as a coach. Could you have imagined when you were coaching the Staten Island Vipers in the USISL that one day you'd be the Mexican national team manager? No, no, no. I think uh, and that's probably a, a good um, reflection, a good um, phrase for all the future coaches in, or those who wants to be in, in the game. Um, what most people of, and I am referring to Alex Rovira, when he says that 
what most people think is luck is when <clears throat> the preparation uh, meets the opportunity and there is only one way, there is only one thing that we are really when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply able to influence, which is the preparation, the opportunities, we never know. Like yourself, like yeah. yourself, you never know who was going to give you the first, the first chance. And, and in my case, I was working for the Metro Stars and one day I received a call from, from Manchester City. They were looking for a, a, a conditioning coach and I thought this is my chance and I had finished my degree at Southern Connecticut State. I graduated in, in, from uh, or in exercise human performance. And when that chance came, I, I thought, this is, this is it. I will go and take my chance and I will learn and, and I will start from there. And that's what I did. So, so Prophet, you were in Manchester City in the Premier League before they were the Manchester City of today. Yeah. When it was still Man United kind of running Manchester. And you're there as a physical coach. I started as a physical, as a conditioning coach. Yes. And I have to mention somebody that I, uh, I thank a lot for. Uh, his name is Vern Gambetta. Mm -hmm. I, I used to go to his seminars when I was working in construction in Queens, New York. Mm -hmm. I'm playing football, and I used to go to his seminars and, and try to learn and applied all the things that he was talking about because I think he's a pioneer in conditioning, mm -hmm. in preparing athletes for the game, and complemented with my ideas of how to train. And that's how <clears throat> I was uh, promoted in Manchester City. I started as a conditioning coach, but because I trained the fo football through football games every day. Then in my third season, Stuart Pierce promoted me as a con as a assistant coach, and from that, from those days, I remember uh, Michael uh, is uh, um, Onoho. Uh -huh. Nadine Onoho. Nadine yeah, played yeah, MLS yeah. for a while, yeah. Uh, Sean Ray Phillips, Sean Ray Phillips, Joey Barton. Mm. <laughs> Dixon, characters, huh? Dixon Etuho. Mm. Even uh, Sean Ray Phillips. He came, yeah. he, his he brother came. Yeah. No, and his brother came to Bradley play. Oh, Bradley, Bradley Ray Phillips. Bradley. But Sean came as well? Caspar is Michael. Oh, yeah? That's yeah. what I thought. So um, I have this incredible image of you in uh, like a construction hat, like working, <laughs> uh, you know, your construction job there. So you go from a construction worker at one point to the manager of the Mexican national team. Tell us a little bit about that experience, that pressure, um, especially when you add the element of something that we have discussed before on this show, but the fact that you are not Mexican, you are a Colombian, a foreigner in charge of the Mexican national team, and how maybe that changed the dynamic between you, the press, you, and the fans. Again, I would think that uh, 
the you as a human or I as a human being has to decide okay this is what I'm going to do this is my plan and hopefully one day I will get a chance but I never knew that it was going to be the the Mexican national team not even in my best dream um, so I went to Southern no I went to New Haven University I transferred to Southern I complete my my studies I start from the Staten Island then I moved to the uh, the Metro Stars with Octavio Zambrano mm -hmm. he gave me probably the best chance to train the team and one day out of the blue Manchester City called me up and I went there and three seasons after I started as a conditioning coach I am the the second or the assistant coach because as you pro as you know in the Premier League and in even in the sec in the championship there's a structure there's a manager first team coach an assistant coach and I became the assistant coach of Derek Fosakerly under Stuart Pierce as a manager and that's that's it you never you never uh, plan that many years ahead you you just have to concentrate I'm going to prepare myself the best I can and then one day I will get my chance. Right. I did my license, my licenses in England. Mm -hmm. Now I do have the the pro license from the FA, which is good to clarify. It is very difficult to get because it's only by invitation, and you have to work in in that environment. And that's that was I, that chance I was given by. The, the fact that I play, that I work for Manchester City for six seasons. Profe, uh, you've coached all over Major League Soccer, you've coached in England, you've coached in Brazil, you've in Brazil. coached in Mexico with the Mexican national team. Specifically the Mexican national team, how was that so much different everywhere else? I mean, were you surprised at all with the amount of, t of attention the Mexican national team manager receives? <clears throat> I never realized, because I moved from Colombia, from Nacional, which was a very successful period, to Brazil, and I was basically very fortunate to be the the, the first Colombian coach ever in Brazil. Mm -hmm. I grad, I have a great chance to work with top top footballers, uh, Rogério Ceni, Alexander Pato, uh, and and then one day Santiago shows up and Solari. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, yeah, Baños, 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 and asked me to come here, uh, asked me to come to Mexico, and I thought this is a great chance to be in the World Cup, but I never imagined the amount of pressure mm. is is sometimes is uh, is too much, is way too much because the amount of uh, programs the amount of fans, the amount of now with the technology, the um, I do not have a, a Instagram or social Twitter, media, social media yeah. zero, but I'm not um, absent to to receive many information uh, from from those media platforms. And that affects not only the family, my 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 wife, my kids, but it, uh, eventually it, it always comes to you. Yeah. So 
absolutely paramount, absolutely uh, huge pressure mm. being the uh, Mexican national team coach, but very, very proud to, to have done what we did. Uh, I bet the thing that you're most proud of, or one of the things you're most proud of, is the game against Germany at the 2018 World Cup. As a coach, what did you get right in that game? What was the plan? Because it seemed clear that the plan that Mexico had was better than the plan that Germany had. Since my playing days, I always knew and I learned that uh, soccer is probably the, the, the collective sport that gives you a better chance to compete against anybody. When you watch a, a basketball game, uh, the team that is supposed to win out of 10 games win eight games or nine games. Uh, same with, with other uh, team sports. In soccer, you could defend, you could not, you could probably play on your own half for 70 minutes or 80 minutes. And in 10 minutes, you go on the opposite half with two corner kicks and you can score on a, on a set play. Or you can score on a, in a counter attack or in what is called now a transitional game. And you could have one chance, and with that only chance, you can win the game. Mm. It's amazing. So that's the complexity of this beautiful game, wonderful game, that even the best attacking teams, and you saw it with Spain, with Guardiola, Barcelona, and even now with Manchester City, there are many games where they have 80% of the possession, or probably even more than that and the other team wins with just Profe, go specifically that Germany game, I remember a, a game versus Croatia in Texas at AT&T Stadium. You guys played in a diamond in the midfield. Most teams would practice how they're going to play mm -hmm. heading into the World Cup. You didn't play that way against Germany. Mm -hmm. You played a transition game against Germany. Right. Why? We, um, we basically, and I decided that we were going to show the Germans as as little as we could, how we're going to play against them. So we use all the, the camps uh, prior, once we, once we knew the, our group, every camp we used to train how we would play against Germany. And the way I decided to do was, one day I would play with the back four, and maybe the three at front, but we would change the middle or vice versa. We would play with the, the three in the middle that will start the game with two center backs and two other full backs because I, I didn't want and we didn't think it was, it was good to tell out even our yeah, players how we're going to away. play. Mm. Because in any interview they could say, how do we play? And I, did, I remember the, my interviews and my press conference before the game. I never said we're going to play 4-3-3 and Miguel is going to play as a right full back, as a, as a right winger. No, everybody assumed that Miguel would play as a right full back. So everybody was surprised when Carlos Alcedo played there. And even when Miguel played as a, as a right winger. And the idea, the strategy was we're going to use pace at front, we're going to drop a half up to the halfway line 
and we're going to play transitional game against them for the first half. And then we will see what happened. And that's, that's how we create like almost five chances mm. in the first half. Yeah. Javier has a chance, Miguel has a chance, Irving has a couple chances. So I think it was, that was the strategy behind that. Uh, just this is the way we're going to play. The structure will be 4-3-3, and whoever is in best shape mm -hmm. will play that game. So if Germany is kind of the high point for you, there, there's a couple games that I think people always focus on when they think about your tenure. Uh, one of is the Chile, the 7-0. The other is the third game of the World Cup against Sweden, uh, where you lose, and that really kind of costs Mexico the, the first place spot in the group. Between those two games, is there one you think about more, regret more? Absolutely. Against Sweden. Really? Why? Yes, because it's, uh, at, at halftime, the score is 0-0. Zero, zero. And we, we have seven points, seven precious points. And that's it. That, that is, 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 is telling us we're going to play against uh, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's... That, that's Very different than Brazil. That, that, oh, absolutely. What would you have changed? Uh, I would have probably introduced um, Molina, Oribe uh, Peralta, and the guys that could play, that have better aerial game that keep going with Andres and Irving. And you would try to hold it for the draw? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, will, I, I should. Looking back, mm, which is it's easy. Well, <laughs> yeah, easier said easy, than done. Right? That's, how, <laughs> yeah. that's how our brain works. It's always taking us to what I should have done. And if I do that, in ten in ten year, in ten days, what can happen instead of concentrating? This is the most important game of our lives, and we have to get it resolved here. Mm. Yeah. And but again, I did it co uh, because I was confident that we could score. And but I, in the balance, I should have realized. The most important thing is not to score, but is that they don't score on us. Yeah. Mm. It's like when the game is is 3-0, the most important game, the most important point is not to score the goal number fourth. It's trying to avoid that the the opposition get one goal and they may they might feel they are into the game. Yeah. So I would have changed that. Whether on the other hand, the game that famous game against Chile. <clears throat> I really don't regret it uh, because I think 11 days prior to, to that particular game, we have beaten Chile 1-0. Mm -hmm. yeah. So with sufficient arguments, football arguments, I decided this is our chance. This is, the, this is how Mexican football will take that step forward because we're ready for this, these people. Profit, correct and, me and, and, and football is like that. Yeah. Now, I have seen that game hundreds of times. Really? And I have compared that to, to the, the, the big defeats in football, like... Uh, Brazil, Germany? Yeah. Brazil, Germany. Yeah. And what happened is, and the key is, 
that Barcelona Bayern exactly yeah. the, between the third and the fourth game between the third and the fourth goal if there's there's less than five minutes with Kizik hands free shoes motion sounds something like this Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion with over 200 patents and easy on easy off technology you'll never have to touch your shoes again there are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Mm. You better ready to, even yourself, have to go inside and help your yeah. players not to concede another goal because impossible to stop that. But... The beauty of this game and the complexity of this game is that the game doesn't teach you, doesn't tell you you're going to be punished. And in that particular game, you remember in the first half they score, and then we are into the game and, and finishing the first half, they score the second goal. And then, then it's a question for me to resolve. Do I drop back and, and hold it, or I try to get a... One goal, and that's what we went for. Mm. Let's try to get a goal. And in the first five minutes, if you review it, we had a opportunity, opportunities, and we feel like the game is telling you you are you are going to score. You will have one one goal, and then you are into the game. And then the third goal comes in, and after that is. Impossible to stop it. Profe, just uh, for context, that, that also was a, a big campeon of, um, of uh, Copa America. That Chile team was a very good team. But I, I believe that was the first loss for the Mexican national team under your tenure mm-hmm. uh, with Chile. Did it surprise you that after that game, so many pundits in Mexico, the press was asking for your removal? Oh, it was very difficult to understand. It was chaos. chaos. Uh, but all I did... All I did was to meet with the players and ask everybody, you tell me what you feel. Because if there are three things that I always, always told the players, the day that you don't respect me as a, as a manager, you don't trust me as a manager, and you lose credibility in what we're doing, I will step away. Right. I will go. And... After the game, and you remember, the next game is in Salvador. Mm-hmm. And that was very difficult because the, the scenario in Salvador, I remember this has never happened to me before. I, I was on the sideline coaching the team. That's the day that Raul Jimenez got hurt. And I remember receiving all all types, all kinds of insults mm. and, and people throwing me things and even bags, open bags with urine and getting all over my, my body. And that was tough. Mm. But the players, if you remember, we won, I think, 0-2. Mm-hmm. And then I said, no, I need to keep going. And this guy is really... That they have a Kino injury? That I think he got injured yeah. that game? Yeah, yeah. Yes. This is what we need. This is where we need to have confidence in what we're doing. The players believe in what we're doing, and that's enough for me to continue. But as far as the media, oof, absolutely mm. a hammering. 
mm. and a very difficult situation for me to stand. Speaking of, of media, I, I saw your appearance with our, our colleagues down in Mexico uh, on ESPN Deportes, and they asked you kind of, you know, what is the thing that's holding back Mexican soccer? And, you know, the, the refrain that we hear on this show is all the time, el quinto partido, el quinto partido. Why can't Mexico make it um, to the fifth game? One of the things that you have talked about um, is the lack of players playing at an elite level. Why is that so important, and why do you think it's a problem with Mexico? Like, what is it that's holding the Mexican player and Mexican football back from making that next step, from transcending? Right. I, I think that uh, Mexican, Mexico invests good amount of money in, in youth football. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably in... I, I will... They're I would a world take power my chance. I would say that yeah. only United States uh, is at the same level with Mexican youth football. Investment. In Investments. Investment. Okay. Sending your uh, your youth national teams under 15, under 17s, going and playing tournaments in Europe. So I did give an example when I when I went to the national team. I was surprised that Diego Reyes had played almost. 100 games with the national teams. Youth national teams. Yeah, and, and most of the games were with the youth national teams. Yes. Mm. That doesn't happen in, in, in South America, not even in Argentinian football, not even in Brazilian football. Why is that? It's very difficult to find a 17-year-old future player mm -hmm. that has played more than 25 international games. Whereas, whether in, in Mexico they play 7,500. But the big difference is when those players reach the 18, 19 years old of age, and between the 18 and the 24, where all those players need to play, make mistakes, play big games, lose finals. That doesn't happen because all of a sudden, most clubs or a lot of the clubs decide to bring foreigners, mm. and that's the big gap. That's what happened, I think, in Mexican football. Now, that's my, my idea. That's the way I, I, I see the problem. I could be wrong, but that's what I what That's I what Tata Martino today is saying about Mexican football. You coached at Puebla. You coached in Liga MX. I've played in Liga MX. I've seen the amount of talent there is at the youth level. But those age groups that you're talking about, you see the amount of foreign players, a foreign influx in Liga MX. There used to be five foreign players. Today you can have as many as you want as long as on the game day roster there's only nine. Mm. And I, and I want to... Uh, I want to make an emphasis on, on that particular point. I was a foreigner in, in Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. I understand that. But there was a great chance, and I thought, I still think that I brought and I left a legacy on, on, my nation, on the national team. Nowadays, there are players that we brought in and we take we took the chance with those players, not only on the, um, uh, se eliminatoria, on the World Cup qualifiers, qualifiers. On, the the qualifiers. qualifiers. on the World Cup qualifiers, but on the, on the, on the World Cup itself. Mm, yeah. Jesus Gallardo, Edson Alvarez, we wanted to bring Nestor Araujo, he could go, Irving Lozano, 
Eric Gutierrez. Eric Gutierrez. And we kept the, 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 the players that even that could give some, some to the national team. Hector Herrera, Andres Guardado, Guillermo, uh, Hector Moreno, and even Rafa Marquez. Mm. But we provide the, the opportunities for those players that now, now, are, 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 yeah. are, are, are now they are the, the mature players. Mm. And I think that that's what, what needs to happen in, in Mexican football. There should be a rule or should, there should be a regulation where it says this is the amount of foreigners. Because I, I don't want to sound like xenophobic or anything like that. No, but like the Premier League. I do think it's yes. very important to have foreigner players, but top, yes. top foreigner players. And that will dictate how many players we have to wait. But not necessarily, okay, we, we, we have a 17-year-old player or 19, and from the 19 to the 23, he will not have any experience. Yeah. Mm. So when is he going to get that experience? When? Yeah. It's a good and, question. And the, perfect, question. Ex and the perfect example is Edson Alvarez. Yeah. When I play him as a center, as a center midfielder, I was very, very criticized. He's a central defender. You cannot do that. He's this, he's that. I say, no, he can play as a central midfielder. He, he has good distribution. He's good with the ball. He is good defending. He has an aerial game. And nowadays he plays in Holland for Ajax mm. and he's, he's one of the best players in the national team. But yeah. those are the chances that the clubs have to take with their own players, yep. like Argentinians do. Yeah. like Brazilians do, like Uruguayans do. Because otherwise there is no way you could, you will learn and you will improve how to drive a car if you don't drive the, that particular car under stress and under pressure in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing and that happens to, to cardiologists, to team doctors, to in every way of life, the experience is only acquired through experiencing and hopefully not too many, mm. but making mistakes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, so appreciate the insight into Edson Alvarez. Stick around because I want to get some insight into Carlos Vela and Javier Chicharito Hernandez. A star-studded battle, but no two bigger stars then Carlos Vela and Javier Chicharito Hernandez, the two Mexican greats going head-to-head -head in El Tráfico tonight. For more on the two stars of El Tráfico, Chicharito and Carlos Vela, let's continue our conversation here with Juan Carlos Osorio, who obviously uh, knows both players well, having managed them at the 2018 World Cup. Profe, let's start with Carlos Vela, because we were talking the other night at dinner, and we gave you credit because... In Carlos Vela's career, you are the only manager of the Mexican national team that truly found a role that seemed to maximize him con la selección. What did you do? How did you do it to bring out the best of Carlos Vela and to make him feel part of the national team in a way that seemingly he hasn't felt either before or since? Well, I think that um, all human beings, and the, in this case, a, a, a human being, stroke, 
player will react to the same things that we all react to either in a negative way or in a positive way. And all we did with Carlos was to show him respect, to let him with, that we admire him as a player and we respect him as a human being and that um, he will enjoy, he will play where he thinks or what he thought at that time that he could play his best. So basically it is compromising with the player. Mm. And yesterday we were talking about that uh, document of entry where the player filled up the, the systems, the structures, and the positions that they could play and they will think that they are capable of contributing their best. And that's exactly what we did with Carlos. Uh, Prophet Juan Carlos Osorio has been described by many ex-teammates, by pundits, by some fans as the most talented Mexican player ever. Uh, Carlos Vela, dijiste Osorio, pero sí Vela. Carlos Vela, apologies. Yeah. That's how talented they think he is. Why was it so important to get Carlos Vela to buy into the national team? What did you see in that talent? Right, I think that uh, every uh, manager or every football man has his idea of how to play. Nowadays, in especially in Spanish um, uh, football, there is a, a controversy about the idea of playing and the model playing. The model involves the culture of the team, the um, if they bring in big players like Real Madrid or they produce players like Barcelona and so on and so forth. But the idea of playing is in every football man. And whoever is in charge has to decide, this is the way I want to play. And I am going to select my players to do this type of game. And I think recently, I'm basically spoken to you too, I asked him, Oh, I have asked too many people, tell me one player in Mexican football that um, replicates what, what Carlos is capable of doing. Mm. And at the end, there is no, there is no player. Because A, he, was, he is a left-footed player. B, regardless of how he interpret interpreters his 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 role model which he doesn't want to be a role model for mm -hmm. younger players uh, he's a left-footed player on the right side that comes inside and can hit a great strike recently against I think it Portland. was a Portland yeah and he has done that over and over and over like uh, Robin used to do for the Holland national team, like uh, even uh, uh, El Fideo used to do for Argentina. Di Maria. Di Maria. Yeah. Like now Bernardo Silva or Mares, mm -hmm. yeah. and even Foden for Manchester City and for their national teams. And Foden is the perfect example. 
Now he is almost irrepa irreplaceable in the English national team because he is the only left-footed that can play as a winger on the right side and he can come inside. It's the same with Carlos. So it's not really my, my, my taste for football. It's, it's about finding those players that are very, very difficult to, to find. A central, a, a, a left-footed central defender that plays on the left side. There are not too many on the world. A, right, a, a left-footed player on the right side as a winger, like Carlos, there are not too many. Right. And that's what I think we highlight with him. We, we brought him in and we said, you are very important for the, for the national team. Where do you want to play? How do you want to play? And you tell me and we compromise and then I will play you in that specific position. But you have to have task, defensive task and offensive tasks. Uh, Profe, you make a lot of comparisons there between Vela and other players. Uh, real quickly, I want your comparison between Vela and another Mexican great that you managed when you were with the Chicago Fire in Major League Soccer. What's the mm. difference between a Carlos Vela and a Cuauhtémoc Blanco? Oh, Cuauhtémoc, a crack. Absolutely. Wonderful players. He will never lose the ball. But they have something in common that I want to capitalize on that. They, they both were very, very um, courageous mm. on the way they play. They, they both knew that they would be hit, hitting. And however, they managed the way not to lose the ball. Now, if you ask me, it's difficult, but Cuauhtémoc is a right-footed, and it are, there are, in the world of football, there are many, many right, good players. Left-footed players are mm. very rare, very difficult to find, and that's what I keep saying. We, the national team needs somebody like Carlos because they are very difficult to, to find. And if you look at the, 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 the Spanish national team, they don't have a player like that. Mm. And Luis Enrique refers as the wingers that can come and play from the outside in. Well, they have on the right side, they have few. On the left side, they don't have any. Profe, speaking of, of difficult to find, uh, another thing that's difficult to find is a number nine that's going to score you goals. Let's talk about Chicharito. I go back to the 2018 World Cup. You're in charge of the team. And most of the positive plays, especially in the Germany game and the South Korea game, seem to go through his feet. Uh, what did you do with Chicharito to get the best out of him in that World Cup? Because I really think, you know, he's a player who's had goals in each World Cup, but for yeah. me, 2018 is his best World Cup. I think uh, we have to mention now that there are players, specific players that are better players uh, stando, being in a position. There are other players that are better llegando, mm -hmm. attacking that position. Yeah. And I remember the Confederations Cup against Portugal. Raul Jimenez started as a number nine, and Javier started as a number 11 coming inside, and that's how we scored the goal. Javier come inside, left his marker, and scored a, a wonderful goal. So I think Javier has that particular ability. He can play as a number nine, but he can also play as a, a llegador, mm -hmm. as somebody that 
will occupy that position. And I think that could be a good strategy for games like Poland, where you need a number nine that is capable of holding the ball up, is capable of prolonging the game with a, or is capable of knocking down and uh, incorporating to the game or taking to the game the inside mid midfielders. Yeah. But you can play with an outside or with a winger, a false will winger, a false winger that comes inside like Javier for in that particular game. Profe, I don't want to know about his technical ability, about his physical ability, about his overall game. Talk to me about his mentality because that's something that stood out to me about Javier Hernandez over the years, his mentality. I think he's a top athlete. Honestly, I think he, his ability is to race to that level and not too many players can do that. He has enough experience, have played at that top level and I think that he is probably, knowing Javier, I would think that he is now thinking, if I get the chance, mm -hmm. I would prove wrong all these people. I would prove everybody that I am a good striker, that I am a, not the best striker. I don't think that he will be, he would be one of those players that I think I am irreplaceable. No, but it's a team player that would think when I get the chance, my chance, I will come in and I will score a goal. Like he did with plenty of, yeah. of times with Manchester United. And I think he's a, a, is a, an attribute to, to Javier, that he doesn't take all those things um, on, on, he takes it personally, but he knows how to manage that and make the best out of that. Different to many other players that are not capable of raising the game up to that level. And on the contrary, they will feel like, oh, I'm not part of this, or I'm not taking, taking in consideration. I think Javier is one of those that says, I will get my chance. And when I get my chance, I will score. Profe, I want to uh, change gears a little bit here. We are in the NBA studio here at ESPN. I know you're a big basketball fan. I am. Uh, in fact, at one point, I think I've read some of your comments that you studied Phil Jackson, the Chicago Bulls of the 90s, that triangle offense. Kind of ordinary. For, for the movement of it, right? Um, well, recently, uh, we had an interesting quote from the Golden State Warriors' Clay Thompson, who compared what the Golden State Warriors do to Barcelona and their tiki-taka. Let's listen in. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I give credit to Steve, man. He uh, came in and he had a vision just to keep that thing hot. I mean, he gave us a perfect example in FC Barcelona. They call it tiki-taka. It's just kick it to the open man. And with us, just hit the open man, keep moving. All right, Professor. So, so tell me when you're watching the 90s Bulls, like what, what were you looking for? What were you seeing? What are the similarities between basketball and, and soccer? I think this is fantastic. It's amazing, really. Because in the past 10, 15 years, uh, top football soccer managers mm -hmm. like Guardiola and others uh, have been or are, mm, are have been taking in consideration other sports to improve their game. Because at the end of the day, is what the Spanish call uh, complementariedades. Is how you have a, in, in football a, a quarterback that can read the game and knows where to play X player. 
whether it's into he, space yeah. or knowing that he, this, the receiver will go into space and come back and give it into his hands. So if that now is the other way around where football coaches or football managers, American football, are taking in consideration the way we play football mm -hmm. and soccer, I think that's amazing. It's fantastic. It's a cultural phenomenon now with all these NBA players who, because video games like FIFA have taken to soccer and a lot of these guys are, are friends with soccer players. You've sought out volleyball coaches, the best in the world. The, the Julio all Velasco. Julio Velasco. The all the black. The best one. The all black. All these, all these different sports mm. to find out what makes them great, what ticks. What, what's the one common thing you found? Uh, the best players are those who can uh, put his uh, abilities and make the best out of those abilities under pressure. Mm. All right, Prof, it's been great to have you here with us uh, in Los Angeles. We'll get to do plenty more of this uh, work in Qatar. I know you're desperate to get to the El Trafico game, so us. we, we got to let you go. But I, uh, we I, I am deciding whether to go <laughs> to the football, the soccer game, or the Lakers. to see the Lakers here, which is across the street. Hey, we weren't kidding. He, the guy does no. love his basketball. Football he loves his first. basketball. Okay, football, uh, football primero here on Football, football America. Parting shot. The USL is expanding. A USL championship team coming to Milwaukee set to begin play in 2025. They're going to be the primary tenants at a new 8,000-seat stadium. Same ownership as a forward Madison, who, of course, are in USL League One. As pro outdoor soccer is back in Milwaukee for the first time in decades. A great news there. Speaking of the USL championship, the playoff bracket is set. In the West, San Antonio are your top seed. Uh, in the East, Louisville City are your top seed. It's not quite March Madness, but let's do some bracket busting here, Herc. Who do you think is going to win the USL Championship Championship? I am going with the fourth in the West. Guess who that is? Mm, a team that we probably discussed a lot on this show, Sacramento Republic. Sacramento Republic, uh, who has unfinished business. Okay. Listen, their run in the Open Cup was spectacular. They did what nobody thought they would do. This is an experienced team. They're facing uh, New Mexico in this uh, round. A team they've already beat 2-1 in their last okay. game. The last time they played against New Mexico. Keko, Douglas Martinez, Roro Lopez, who is a legend there. USL legend as well. Mm -hmm. It just seems like they are destined for another the run I will put my money my hard-earned money okay on Sacramento wow look at you at uh, disrespecting San Antonio the top seed in the I West. don't respect Texas wow okay all Texas. right uh, you're not gonna enjoy the Austin Dallas game then in the playoffs if, you don't, if you don't respect <laughs> Texas um, all right so I'm going Eastern Conference okay I'm going the Eastern side I'm going with Louisville City okay Louisville City is is the top team in the Eastern Conference so they're gonna have home field advantage throughout. Oh, wow. Now, yeah. this is not just because I believe in Danny Cruz as a coach, but I gotta no. be honest, but you do. that has a lot to do with okay. it, right? Danny Cruz knows how to get uh, the very best out of this Louisville seed, city team. Uh, they're the top seed, uh, which means they'll have obviously home field advantage until if they were to play San Antonio then in the final, obviously, right. uh, that goes out the window. But Lynn Family Stadium, they average like over 10,000 a game. They're gonna have good crowds when they're at home. I'm betting on Louisville City. I'm be betting on Louisville City. No. I would love to go to Louisville can't City. Go. No. We can't? No. We can't go? We're just, we're, there's too much demand. When is the final? When is the final? I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, that's, that's for the next edition of uh, Oh, just say, well, we will be gone. 
Yes, we will be. No, it's uh, it's before the World Cup. Don't you worry about it. No, I will oh, still be gone. You will be gone? I'm going on the beach somewhere. Get away from you. All right. Uh, well, on Monday, big episode of the show. Full recap of all the playoff action. Ligia action as well down uh, in Liga MX East. We'll cover all the MLS playoffs as well. And, of course, the National Women's Soccer League. We got the uh, semifinals set for Sunday afternoon. Look at that. Is that the official ball of the uh, World Cup in Qatar? Is that yours to take home? Right, so expense that. No, we'll take it to Qatar with us. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye, Mom.